Open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 16. We are uh, continuing our journey through Church Without Wall series as we go through the book of Acts. And today we begin the second half of this book, okay? We begin the second half of this book. And by the way, just real quick, how many of y'all are here for the first time and you're here because a friend of you brought you? Can you raise your hands? Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, You know, guys, I just want to say this. As we talk about being mission and being missional, so on and so forth, one of the things that, that I love is hearing stories about how folks from our church invite other people just to be able to come and experience the corporate worship service here at your community on Sunday. So I want to encourage you guys, don't minimize the powerful effect and influence of inviting folks to come where they have to hear the gospel, see what God's community of people do. As God's created us and called us to worship him with all that we have. And just to meet some folks who are, you know, Christians, but normal. <laughs> so I'm going to Come on now. That's, that's the highest compliment I can pay y'all, okay? When, when, people in our, when people at me go, what's your church like? I go, they're normal. <laughs> really? Like normal Christians these days? Oh, yeah, there's some. Hard to find, but there's some. Um, we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're here. Uh, Michael has reminded me. I know that I didn't give you guys a lot of time to fill out the prayer cards. And so if you're still filling them out, don't worry. You can go back whenever you're done. And Nathan will have the offering uh, basket there. So whenever you're done filling out the prayer, you could do it at the end of the service as well. Please drop it in. And we want to make sure to pray for you. Acts chapter 16, verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Choaz, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading, of, leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. As we begin, you guys, the second half in the book of Acts, remember what I said last week, very important, that essentially the book of Acts is about what God is doing, that God is a God of mission. And God has called us as God's people, he formed this thing called the church, to be a tangible, visible expression of God, of Jesus on the face of the earth as we participate with God in this mission. And I want to say to you guys until I get blue in the face, every time I see you on Sunday, you have a mission from God. Amen? You have a mission from God. You, you, you have a mission from God. When you get up in the morning tomorrow, you have a mission from God. And no, don't immediately think, well, do I got to lead a Bible study at work? Yes or no. Do I have to pray for people at work? Yes or no. Do I have to? No, you being on mission is those two things as well as the entirety of the work that you do and doing it well. Let me, let me, uh, I, I had a bunch of stories. By the way, I love people sending stories of how God is at work in their lives. And I love sharing these. I don't have time today to share all the ones that I prepared, but continue to send these along to me because I want to share with you guys about many women in our church who understand that they're in mission and the incredible difference it makes. Hi, pastor. I was just writing to tell you one thing God has done this week. Sunday, you talked about our everyday jobs being our mission field. I'm a nurse aide in a hospice in Park Ridge. So I'm exposed to many people dying and suffering, as well as their families and the coping process that they go through. Well, I was feeling sort of burned out between work and raising my own handicapped child. And then I failed to see that my performance on the job was lacking compassion at times. I've always been a compassionate person, especially when it came to caring for others. It's my gift and the only longing I had as a career. So this Sunday was nice to get prayer from a little lady named Kimmy who asked for a renewed spirit. Well, we had a patient who came in as a Jehovah's Witness and in enormous pain. We tried our best to make her comfortable in every way possible, music therapy, medication, massages, but to no avail. God put on my heart to sit with her. And I did as she ranted on about what she believed in for so long now seemed so unfair and seemed like nonsense to her. 
She spoke of demons tormenting her and how everything she didn't believe in was now part of her reality. But she would never say that to her family or the many church members who visited her daily. Day after day, I sat with her and I just listened. She finally asked me what I believed and that made me so patient and so caring. I got my opportunity to share my Jesus with her. And it became real and made sense to her. Because she saw proof in the way I cared for her and many others on my unit. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? This is what we mean when we say being in mission. People see the beauty of your life, whatever it is. And they have so much respect for you. They're looking at you going, how in the world are you, are you able to act like that, behave like that? And you get a hearing. Near the end, she asked me if God would take her, even though she had lived her life differently. My answer was absolutely. And we prayed a prayer of forgiveness. And then that night, she passed away. Finally at peace. My spirit renewed. I am always amazed at God's grace and the crafty ways of bringing people into our lives at the right moment. Thank you for your prayers. I can't wait to see you on Sunday. I just read these all day long. See, some of y'all are just weeping right now. You're crying. You know why? Because the reality is you're at work and you're going, they don't see that in me, Peter. I've lost mission. I've lost focus. My work is just work. It's drab. It's this. It's that. And you hear somebody who's saying, in the mo- I mean, come on, she works for a hospice for crying out. She's around death and suffering all day. Doesn't get much harder than that, you know? And yet, this patient sees the beauty of, of her life and, 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 wow. This woman says, Tell me, why are you the way you are? And by the way, that always happens. At some point, they will ask you, why are you the way you are? You, you have a mission. You have a mission from God. Do you know it? Do you know it? Do you know that what you do matters and that the world is watching you and me? And they're observing and saying, I know you're a Christian. Are you any different? Um, so as we continue our series today, uh, kind of shift gears a little bit, you guys, because I'm going to talk about a very, very, very practical, practical thing. Pursuing God and his mission entails making decisions. Would you agree with that? Pursuing God and mission makes, entails making decisions. Every day, you and I are going to be faced with decisions that will either move us closer to the mission of God or further away from the mission of God. And the decisions that we make are very practical things. Decisions that entail who we marry, where we work, what kind of job we get, what school we go to, what kind of ministry we get involved in, etc., etc. Who you are and where you are today very much is in God's mind because the decisions that we make every day matter in the economy of God. Now, here's the thing, though. Uh, can, can I... The reality is, when it comes to decision-making, um, there are some of us who've made decisions in our lives, and, 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 and those decisions have put us in situations that have made it very difficult for us to transition back into a worshiping community. Some of us, there are decisions that we've made. If they were a book, we'd love to rip out those chapters from these books in our lives, and if we were to kind of have an open book, we would love for people to not read about those chapters. Some of you right now actually are in the process of trying to make a decision, and hello, you are seeing the big red flag. From the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit saying, don't go there. Don't do that. Uh-oh. Anybody? <laughs> Anybody? Right? And you're about to make a decision. You're about to make decisions. And you're going, ah, oh, I don't know if I should do that. And you know you shouldn't. In other words, there are decisions that we are faced with every single day of our lives that matter in terms of whether it gets us closer to the mission of God or further away. And they're very practical things. Now, here's the thing. I've been a pastor for some years, and I've never yet to have somebody come into my office and go, you know, I love making stupid decisions. <laughs> I just love it. I love it. I enjoy it. It's a hobby of mine. I love it. Nobody comes in and says, I love making bad decisions. And yes, but we do. Now, here's the thing. Do you know that God cares intimately about the decisions that you make? 
Do you know that God is intensely and intimately concerned and care about the decisions that we make every single day of our lives that will either move us closer to the mission of God or further away? And yes, they affect who we date, who we marry, where we go to work, how, what kind of job we get, and, 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 and the list goes on and on. Now, here's the thing. One of the most important things when it comes to making decisions that you and I will have to wrestle with is the phenomenon of closed doors, open doors. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's amazing. Even if you've never heard the, heard the terminology, Christians go, yeah, God closed that door for me. God closed it. Where did you get that? God opened that door for me. Closed doors, open doors. Closed doors, open doors is one of the most critical things that we need to wrap our brains around if we're going to move further in the mission of God. Now, here's the thing. I have a perspective that many of you don't, which is I hear stories every day of people who come into my office and say, Peter, you don't understand. I, I prayed. I prayed about it. I faithfully read word. I didn't make decision in my own mind. I, read, I, I consulted counsel of older people who are more mature, wiser. And I felt in my heart of hearts, this was God's. I felt my heart of hearts, this was God was leading me. And then just at the moment, shut door. In the last two weeks, here are the conversations I had. Somebody came to my office and said, I invested over a year and a half into this relationship. My boyfriend and I have been going a year and a half, and I thought that for sure this was the person I was supposed to marry. I didn't hold on to the relationship. I was actually very, very faithful in saying, God, I surrender the relationship to you. We started talking about marriage, and then all of a sudden, he started acting all weird. And then within two weeks, I get a phone call and saying, you know what? Uh, we're done. No explanation. So she's sitting in my office, just crushed, absolutely crushed. Uh, another person, here's their story. You know what? I, I, I was sure that that school, that program was where I was supposed to go. Peter, I had the grades. I had the resume. I had all the things that I needed. I mean, objectively, slam dunk. I was supposed to be in. And then finally, I got the letter and saying, you know what? We looked at your, we looked at your credentials, so on and so forth, and you have the grades, so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, we could only take so much. And we're sorry to inform you that can't accept you. Uh, one other person was pursuing a job, went for a second interview, third interview, third interview. I mean, that's just playing with your emotions, you know what I'm saying? Third interview going, they love me. Get a phone call the next day saying, we're sorry, but we decided to go with this other person. And the list could go on and on and on, but the reality is every single day of our lives, again, put it into context, you and I are faced with this reality that sometimes without us knowing it, explanation, rationale, God closes the door. God closes the door to something that we were sure. And can I just mention one thing? Another thing I hear from a lot of Christians is I had peace about it. I had peace about it. Just, okay, you know, I, you guys know one of the things I love doing is just deconstructing our typical Christian things. So here you go, okay? Having peace may mean that God is in it, but having peace doesn't necessarily mean that God is in it. Let me tell you something, okay? Do you think Jesus Christ had peace the night before he was going to die on the cross for the sins of the world? Do you think he was in there going, peace, overwhelming peace? <laughs> Jesus is wrestling. I mean, he's sweating tears of blood because it, there's no peace. Let me tell you something. Christians, let me tell you something. Having peace about something doesn't necessarily mean that God is with you or that God's will is in it. Depending on our emotions to sense what God is doing and not doing is very dangerous. You will not have peace when the Holy Spirit says, end that relationship that you should not have gotten into in the first place. Quit that job that you took just for the money. You will not have peace for a lot of the things that God calls you to do. We don't depend on our emotions to sense where God is leading. We depend on the Holy Spirit. Amen? Depend on our emotions like peace. To discern where God is leading is very dangerous proposition, follower of Jesus. Many times, check this out. When you're about to do the right thing, you will not feel peace. You will feel fear, anxiety, confusion. But it's when we respond in obedience that the result will be what? Peace. So if you're suddenly going, I don't feel good about this at all. I think it's the right thing to do. I feel anxious. I feel concerned. You might be exactly where God wants you to be. And the peace may be the result of radical obedience. You tracking? Okay? So don't come into my office and go, but I had peace about it. 
Because then I'll start singing like very sarcastically. I've got peace like a river. I've got peace. Do y'all know that song? That's why we don't sing that song at our church, Michael. Because it's bad theology. (laughs) Open your Bibles. Revelation 3. Keep your hand in Acts 16 because we're going to come back. Because Revelation 3 teaches a very important critical truth about these decisions that we make when it comes to the issue of closed doors and open doors. The Apostle John in, in Revelation 3 is essentially dictating for Jesus. And here are the words that Jesus speaks. And by the way, if you want passage to memorize, highlight, underline Revelation 3, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write these things. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. Some of y'all didn't even know that was in the Bible, did you? Some of y'all didn't even know it was something that practical that was in the Bible. Verse 8, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. This passage tells us not only who is in charge of closed doors and open doors, but also reminds us where the responsibility belongs squarely on Jesus. First of all, look at this passage carefully. Jesus describes himself as the, as the one who is holy. You know, I loved David's prayer this morning. David, thank you so much. Because when, when, when he prayed and led us in that and talking about God's holiness, it's reminding us that God is sinless. Jesus is sinless. And the significance of that is, check this out, Jesus is perfection preeminent. Everything Jesus does is right. Can you imagine that? He never makes a mistake. Everything he does is perfect. He's always right on about everything all the time. And his motives are always pure. Jesus is holy. And secondly, he's true. What does that mean? That means that Jesus hates that which is evil. He's perfectly good. Significance, Jesus doesn't counsel in error. He doesn't engage in erroneous activities. Jesus doesn't counsel in error. He is trustworthy. He'll never lie. He'll never exaggerate. You can trust him totally. So check this out. The, 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 the apostle is saying, these are the words of him. The following words are from someone who never makes a mistake, who hates that which is evil, who's perfectly good, who doesn't counsel in error, who doesn't engage in erroneous activities, who never lies, who never exaggerates. Does this sound like someone you can trust? Now, what does he say? He holds the key of David. In Scripture, key is symbolic of authority. And you can relate. If you have the key to that safe, you have the authority in you alone to open that safe. You all have keys to your apartment, to your house. What does that mean? That means you alone have the the authority to open the door to that house or the apartment and gain entrance. John says in Revelation 3, Jesus holds the key of David. In other words, Jesus alone has authority to do what? Read it with me. Ready? What he opens, say it with me. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can. One more time. Jesus' authority to do what? Say it with me. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. Did you catch that? Jesus, who is perfect, perfectly good, who doesn't counsel in error, who hates that which is evil, who doesn't engage in erroneous activities, who never lies, who never exaggerates, says, I alone have the authority and right to open a door of opportunity, and I alone have the right and authority to close that door of opportunity. Both are under his control, his authority, his prerogative. Now, check this out, you guys. If you don't get anything, get this today. When Jesus closes the door to something, it is always, always so that he would lead us to a better door of greater opportunities. But stop, stop, stop. I say that, and depending on what kind of church background theology you come from, I say better door of greater opportunities, and you go, woohoo, yes! Better door of greater opportunities. And in your mind, here's what you're thinking. Better door of greater opportunities. It's more comfortable. It's more secure. It's more safe. 
and somewhat bluntly honest, what I want and what I would like to see happen. I mean, this theology is so rampant in the church that we take verse like Romans 8, 28. For God works for the good of those who love him. That's how we think. So we go, good and better opportunity. God works for my good. Yeah, I get on board with that. You know what that verse really says? Translation. God will give you everything you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. So better and greater doesn't mean safer, more comfortable, more secure. What I want. Why do we always go there? Why is it that whenever we say, God, better and greater opportunities, in our mind it's that. Maybe better and greater opportunities is that you become more like Jesus through that door and you become more useful for his kingdom. Another bad theology. The center of God's will is the safest place to be. Think about that theology. The center of God's will is the safest place to be. What are we saying? Read your Bibles. Look at people who are at the center of God's will in the book of Acts. Persecuted, hounded, killed, flogged, hardships. The center of God's will is not the safest place to be. The center of God's will is the most dangerous place to be. If all Christians want comfort and security, who the heck is going to take the church into the dangerous places? Huh? Why is it that every time we go, God, close the door, open door, we don't think, God, it may be harder, it may be more difficult, it may mean that I'm going to be broken, it may mean all of these things, but at the end of the day, I'm going to become more like Jesus in ways that I never knew, and I'm going to be useful for his kingdom. Why can't we rejoice that that would be the better and greater door of opportunity. You tracking so far? Amen? Amen. See, can I just tell you something? This is also the reason why we put so much pressure on the whole, I got to figure out God's will. Is it city A or is it city B? Is it school A or is it school B? Is it guy A or is it guy B? You know, we, and we, we, we go, God, I want to know. I want, I want to do your will. And I just go, come on. Is it really about you wanting to find out what God wants you to do in doing it? Or is it that if we think we did the right thing and found God's will, that again, our lives will be devoid of hardship, difficulty? You see what I'm saying? So maybe making sure the right city or the right school or the right guy or the girl is not really about doing God's will. It's really more about us. Hmm? You know my theology on that? It don't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I thought I was going to go into you for counseling. I'm not. Yeah, no, you know. Here's my, I, I go, CDA, CDB. Uh, I don't know. Choose. What do you mean choose? Like, I want to know. I know you want to know. Just choose. CDA, CDB. Pray about it. Do you pray about it? Yeah, yeah. Are you sincere? Yeah, I'm sincere. Then, then choose. Is a guy or a guy be? Now, that's a little bit more sensitive, you know. So I, I, don't, I don't just say choose. I say use your wisdom, use your discernment. But if they're two very good guys or very good women, choose. Here's the reason why, okay? Because, because listen, listen. Once you make a decision, let's say you choose the quote-unquote wrong city, the wrong guy or the wrong job. God is in it, and he's so big and so great that in there, the wrong places, if you will, you will learn lessons that only you otherwise would not have been able to learn. You guys see what I'm saying? So don't be afraid. Don't freak out. I don't know if I can make it for crying out. Just make a decision. God is big. He's saying, I could do with that. And it's there that you'll learn things that you wouldn't have learned over there. Or you go over there, okay. Then we'll learn things over here that you want to learn over there. Over there, oh, you see what I'm saying? That's what I'm saying. God's will, finding God's will. It's really not about God wherever you go. Because God wherever you go also says sacrifice, intentionality for the kingdom. But it's more about, God, if I choose the right, good life, happy life, secure life, comfortable life, good things. Maybe that's not God's will for you. I think God's will for you is maturity, growth, more useful for his kingdom. Amen? Amen. <laughs> You're like, shoot, I'm never going to him for advice. Because <laughs> it's going to last two minutes. Tell me what you, okay? Decide. Choose. Remind yourself of this truth. Let it anchor you. In many of our circumstances, more often than not, when a door of opportunity shuts, it's to lead us through a better door of greater opportunities. God opens doors. God closes doors. Either is God's prerogative. 
Okay, I got to stop right here before we move on and look at this Acts passage. I got I got I got to talk to some of you guys that 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 do this. So open door, closed door. You're at this point, and you go, oh oh, closed door. This ain't happening. All right. This isn't happening. You gonna close this door on me? I don't think so. Where is that crowbar? Where is that hammer? Where, where, where is it? Right? You know who I'm talking to, right? So you get that sucker out, and you're looking at this closer, and you're going, you know how much time I spend here, God? Do you know the things that I've done? Do you know how much I've invested? I ain't gonna take this line down. Oh no. Say yeah if you know what I'm talking about. So you're not going to take a line now. So what do you do? You get that crowbar. You get that hammer. And what do you start doing? You start wedging that sucker. You know what that is? Can I just say something? You know what that is? That's us feeling that we are in control. That's us feeling that we are in control. We want to be in control. That's us wanting to feel powerful that somehow, God, I'm in control of this because, 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 because I'm in control of this, I am going to make. Can I just, again, tell you something? It doesn't take long for us to realize we are not in control of anything. Come on. Waiting for that train, that blue stop, and you're going, it's like seven minutes late. You are not in control of your life. It's some conductor who is like three miles away. Flat tire. I mean, all it takes is a flat tire for some of us to be completely thrown off. And for crying out loud, the city of Chicago reminds us every day that we are not in control. So why do we do that? Because we think, I'm in control. I want to feel power. And God says, whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, if you're there right now, even emotionally, mentally, God's saying, actually, let me, let me speak to you from my experience. The best thing to do is just stop, put that sucker down, put that crowbar, that hammer, the whatever thing down, okay? And you need to just take a step back, take a deep breath, and go, God, what are you trying to say to Peter today? What are you trying to say through your word today, Okay? I'm not going to tell you exactly what to do right now, but just, just pause for a moment, emotionally, mentally, go, okay, I'm going to stop. Acts 16, Acts 16, the passage that we're going to come to, and we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this because it's pretty much self-explanatory. Here's what's happened. Here's what's happened. Look at your maps in front of your bulletins, okay, so you can follow along. Paul and Silas have made their way across what is present-day Turkey, okay, which was Asian Minor at the time. Paul's already done one missionary journey, Okay. Paul's already done one missionary journey, which means he's not a rookie. He, he, he's on his second one. He knows what he's doing. And this time, as he's going on his second missionary journey, he's brought two people along with him, Silas and a guy named Timothy, okay, who links arms with Paul for the first time. And when we come to Acts chapter 16, verse 6, here's what's happened so far. There's not been a single closed door. They are going to regions. They're preaching the gospel. People are coming to know Christ. Churches are being planted. Amazing open doors everywhere. Things are happening. Verse 5, matter of fact, of chapter 16 says that the churches were strengthened in the faith and they grew daily in numbers. And this other thing. This is also happening in a situation and a time where, where they're, they're, they're trying to reach one of the most unreached pagan regions at the time. I mean, this is one of the most hardest places to reach. And yet Paul, Silas, and Timothy, as they go, people are coming to Christ. One open door after another. God is doing amazing things everywhere. Now you could imagine, they're at this point going, whoo, this feels really good. This feels really, really good. God is just opening doors left and right, and we are just uh, right there, and God is just doing amazing things. So they gather together to gain momentum, and they're saying, we've got entire Asia Minor to reach. Let's go. And then we come to verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit. Did you catch that? Uh, who closed doors? Say, who closed doors? The Holy Spirit. From preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Who closed doors? Is it the people? Was it the circumstances? Was it bad, wrong decisions that they made? Who closed doors? The Holy Spirit closes the door. And the Spirit of Jesus closes the door to great opportunities for God. Phenomenal opportunities to God. Say this with me. What God shuts, no one can open. Say it with me. What God shuts, no one can open. What God opens, no one can shut. What God opens, no one can shut. And here's what I could hear them saying. They're sitting there going, but God, we could do amazing good here. Do you know the kinds of things that I can do? Paul and Timothy and Silas are in a place where they're saying, there are thousands of people that would never know Jesus if not for our proclamation of the gospel. Are you sure you don't want us to be here? You've been there? Secondly, they're saying, 
Our heart's in the right place. We're surrendered. We're yielded. They don't have any selfish motives and ambitions. They're completely yielded, completely surrendered to God. They're saying, God, we only want and desire what's your will for us. They're totally yielded. No wrong motives, no selfish motives. They're right there seeking God genuinely. And yet, say it with me, what God shuts, no one could open. And what God opens, no one can shut. So look at what they do. Verse 8. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. Look at your map. Look at your map. I need you to look at your map because it'll help. Look at where Troas is from where they started. Just give you perspective in your mind. You know what that's like? That's like them journeying from Miami, Florida, and now they're in San Francisco. They have literally gone through just about every part of Asia Minor, back and forth, up and down, and they're literally in the San Francisco, if you will, of Asia Minor. Do you know what the next step is from Choaz? Next step from Choaz is, see your map. What's the next step from Choaz? It's, it's the ocean. Hello. <laughs> you literally can't get any more further west than Choaz. They are in Choaz and they're looking and saying, God, if we take another step, we get wet. It's an ocean. Now, here's the other thing. Look at your map. They've probably traveled about 600 miles or more on foot. And I could just imagine, first missionary trip, can you imagine young Timothy, young Timothy, who's going, what the heck did I get myself into? (laughs) Silas going, who is this guy? What did I get myself into? They've been traveling for weeks and weeks, traveling for 600 miles, and they're where? They've done nothing. They haven't preached the gospel. They haven't planted churches. They haven't done anything what they think is significant and important, and they're in Troas, San Francisco. They're going to get wet. They're looking out to the ocean and going, what the heck? Can anybody relate to them? Say yes. If you, 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 you've been there, I've been there. We're sitting at Choas, looking out to the Aegean Sea and going, what the heck? I followed you. I wasn't selfish. I let go. God, I surrendered everything to you. I had the right motives. I even asked all the people, should I do this? And they said, yeah. I read your word. I prayed, God. I genuinely sought you. And here I am. Remember what I said earlier? When God closes a door of opportunity, it is always what? To open a better door, great opportunities, a breakthrough. Look at verse 6, verse 9. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man, Macedonia, standing and begging him. Stop right there. You guys, please, please, please. If you're sitting there going, now that's what I'm talking about, a vision from God. That's what I need. <laughs> I literally have people coming to my office and going, Pastor Peter, I need a vision from God. You know, and it's the same guy that takes the Bible and go, God, you need to show me. You need to show me. You need to show me. And you know what they come to, right, Michael? Judas hung himself, right? And they go, show me again. I know that one right, right? Show me, show me. No, you don't need a vision from God. You don't need a miraculous vision from God for crying out loud. God's that's right. That's right. Look, keep going. Okay, beg him. Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. If you're taking notes, can you write this down? More often than not, God's guidance is gradual. More often than not, God's guidance is gradual. Oh, this is so important, you guys, because you know what? You and I don't understand that. You and I operate that principle of, I need to know by next Tuesday, and if it doesn't happen, I'm going to... That's us. In 1989, I was in Africa. And one of the things that we did was we went on this evangelism thing through like what they call the bush, 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 which is like the mountainous, most mountainous regions of Mombasa in Kenya. I kid you not, man. It was like 99 degrees outside, like 110% humidity, right? We had like one dinky little water bottle. We're following our guide, right? And literally, it's going through like one mountain after another, and I'm tired. Some of us are like literally vomiting, you know? Some of us are sitting there going, by the way, any Koreans here? Some of us are sitting there going, chuya, chuya, which means like, Lord, Lord, in Korean. You know, they're going, Lord, Lord. Like literally, like all of us are like going like crazy. We're losing our minds, right? And our guy's like, we're almost there, we're almost there. We keep going, we keep going, we keep going. We, we're, we're, we're struggling, we're tired, we're hungry, we're struggling, and we're going, we have no idea where things are, and this is just the hardest thing I've ever done. And then, before we knew it, we came across this sort of top of this peak, and it just opened, right? And it was a view of the entire city of Mombasa with its ocean on the left and mountains 
mountains and mountains on the left. And we came up, and our guy said, ah, we're going there. Right? You know what it felt like? You know what it felt like? It felt like how I feel many times when I'm seeking God's will. And during, in the midst of it, I'm going, God, I don't see where you're going. This is hard. This is difficult. This is making no sense. And then all of a sudden, God brings us to this place where we go, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I see. I see. Anybody relate? Anybody relate? Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. You know what that means? That means, that means God's guidance is gradual. Here's what that means. That means that you may be in a season where you are in a hard, difficult, you feel like I'm getting nothing done. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, weeks, we haven't preached a word. God, I'm not doing anything significant. I'm not doing anything worthwhile. I'm not doing anything for your kingdom. What am I doing? I'm just following this guide with a small bottle of water, and I feel like there's nothing being done. Every day I go into work. Every other day I'm seeking you, well, God. And I'm kind of in this place where I'm going, God, this is so confusing, so frustrating. This seems so meaningless. Do you know that you might be exactly where God wants you to be? Do you know that you might be exactly where God wants you to be and that God is leading you and God is guiding you? But here's the question you need to ask. Are you in that place where God is saying, I put you here and I'm guiding you, but are you being faithful to what I've called you to do now? Why in the world would God entrust you with significant things of the kingdom if what God has called you to do right now of loving those people, of being Jesus to them, it's something that you struggle with. See, I, I, I've realized, talking to people and pastoring people, that God's guidance is almost always gradual. God doesn't show up and say, by next Tuesday, I'll tell you. But, but God takes, why does God do that? Because here's the thing. God is more concerned about you discovering God and not just God's will. God is more concerned about you discovering God and not God's will. Because in that process of going, God, we were traveling for eight weeks. Not a single word preached. Not a single church planted. What in the world? And God says, I'm in control. Follow me. I'm in control. Follow me. God, I feel like I'm being absolutely insignificant work, getting nothing done. This isn't what I prepared for. This isn't what I went to school for. This isn't what I thought I'd be doing with my life. And God's sitting there going, I'll make it clear. I'll make it clear. Are you being faithful? See the realities, can I tell you? Half of you guys right now, where you're at right now, might not be what God ultimately has you doing long term. But what you do right now is setting the trajectory of your life for the next 10, 15, 20 years. Are you being faithful? Are you being faithful? Notice something else here. This is very, very cool as we move on. Something about, about, about God's open doors and, and what God does. Where, where does God call them? Sandra, where does God call them from Asia Minor? God calls them to what? Where? Yes, to Macedonia, which was Europe of the time, okay? In other words, Macedonia is all the way across the sea to the European side. That is to say, them finally responding to this open door from God, finally responding to the open door from God meant meant significant challenges, significant difficulties, and significant hardship to cross. Racial barriers, cultural barriers, and many other barriers. In other words, when God finally opens the door and God says, you ready? The door that's opened is one in which they're looking and going, are you sure? God, that's significant challenges right there. That's not what I think I'm even capable of doing. And God says, when I open doors, it will almost always require risk, change, and courage. When God says, now it's time, it will almost always require risk, courage, and change. And let's just be real. We don't even like the word change. We don't even like the word change. We like the safe, the comfortable, the secure, what's familiar. And God says, someone who is following me and my mission and is seeking closed doors as open doors, when God closes the door, he says, I have a better door of good opportunities for you. Almost always, it's one in which it's going to stretch you. It's going to challenge you. It's going to be something you're going to look and go, God, this is beyond my ability. And God goes, I know. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Verse 11. Let's finish. 
From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. You know what's really cool? You know what's really cool? We know what really happened as a result of them risking courage and obeying the challenge of God in this closed door? Here are the things that happened. If they had not obeyed, there would be no church of Thessalonica, no church in Philippi, no church in Corinth. The list goes on of New Testament letters that would have never been written. Corinth, Philippi, Thessalonica. And furthermore, in verse 12, we see the pronoun change from they to we. In other words, Choas is where they picked up a guy named Luke. And Luke journeys with them for the rest of Acts and chronicles what you and I have today in the book of Acts. Had they stopped at any of those points, there would be no church in Philippi, no church in Thessalonica, no church in Corinth, or the letters to those things. There might not even be a book of Acts to speak of today. And no Luke, Dr. Luke, to chronicle the journey of what he came to see and know as the movement of God. All because they obeyed God's call, even though it was completely different from what they expected, and it required a complete change of their plans both unseen to them and their friends God was at work but God never tells them why you could read your Bible and search everyone and go okay why did that door close why why God doesn't say okay why not that and why this God doesn't say God just says um, follow me principles what can we learn about closers, open doors? One, God is sovereign and fully in control. Rest in him. Say it one last time with me. What he opens, no one can shut. Ready? What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. What he shuts, no one can open. God's guidance will oftentimes consist of closed doors as well as open ones. God may guide us for a long time with just giving us no's without any yeses at all. And when you are in the midst of a closed door, we're in the midst of God, I don't know where to go. I don't know what you're doing. And you're tempted to say, God has abandoned me. God is nowhere to be found. Uh, remember this, this phrase that we've been saying throughout this sermon series. God's silence is not absence. And God's hiddenness is not abandonment. God might be silent, but he is there. God might seem hidden to us, but he has not abandoned you. He is there. God is sovereign, fully in control, rest in him. And secondly, being in full control, God takes full responsibility for the results. So trust him. Hey, you guys, look up here. I, 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 need, I need to have fun with this. I need to have fun with this. This is so good. This is so, so good here. Okay? Because when we think trust him, immediately we think passive like, Okay, I trust you. And you go, do you really? How do you know? I don't know. I just feel like I trust him. How do you know you're trusting him? Let me tell you how. Let me tell you how. I will tell you today how you know you trust him. Break it down. I'm going to break it down. For, I'm going to break it down for you. Okay? Here's how we know. Do you know that, 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 that the decision that Paul and Silas and Timothy had to make, okay, there's a cool word in verse 12, symbabazo, where they say, and they concluded that God was calling them. Symbabazo is a Greek word that literally meant to put the pieces of the puzzle together. So here's what's saying. They're looking at evidence. They're hearing from God, the vision. Not the only thing, you know, vision, the things, right? And they're saying, okay, peace right there, peace right there, peace right there. Okay, okay. Hey, guys, guys, let's put this together as we decide. Let's put this together. See what God's doing. Let's put, in other words, they're using their mind. They're using their intellect. They're using the evidence that God has given them to put the pieces together to make a decision, right? Right? You following so far? So, so, so they're saying, okay, we need to make a decision. We need to make a wise decision what God's calling us to do. We're going to put our pieces together now. So when you decide by putting the pieces together, how do you know you're trusting let me put up a proverb. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3. Say this with me. Ready? Everybody, really loud. Here we go. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. Okay, one last deconstruction of bad theology. Because we think that means commit to the Lord whatever you do, and all of us think this way, and many scholars kind of try to correct us. We think what that verse is saying is, say to God, come to God and say, God, I trust you with my plans. God, I trust you. I lift it up to you. I give it to you, God. Close over. I give it to you, God. And the promise you think of that scripture is, and then God will make our deeds 
successful. In other words, our outcome will be successful. That's not what that proverb is saying. That's the opposite. You know what this is saying? He's saying, here's what it means to trust. Ready? Trust your outcome to the Lord, and you will more and more become a wise person who makes good decisions. Let me say that once more. Trust your outcome to the Lord, and you will become a person who will more and more make wise, good decisions. Do you know what that means? Here's what it means to trust God. It means coming to God and saying, not, God, I trust you with these plans. God, I trust you. Deep down inside, we're going, God, if I trust you, if I trust you, it's going to work. I trust, you know. But God is saying, here's what you do. You come, you lay everything, the outcome. And you say, God, whatever happens in this area, whether I agree or understand it, I trust you. John Newton, give me what you will, when you will, how you will. This passage is saying, come to the Lord and say, God, I don't know what the outcome is. I don't know how that's going to turn out. I don't know what those doors will mean. But what I do is all of it unconditionally. I come and say, God, it's yours. It's yours. I trust you to open closed doors. God, it's yours. And God says, when you approach life that way, you will become more and more a wise person who makes good decisions. Elizabeth Elliot. I love that lady. I love that lady. Read anything that she's written. This is what she says. The more we pay for guidance, the more we are likely to listen to it. Advice from a friend, which is free, we may take it or leave it. Advice from a consultant, we are more likely to listen to, but it's still our choice. We may take it or leave it. But the guidance of God is different. Listen, guidance of God is different. First of all, we don't come to God asking for his advice, but we come to God asking for his will, and that is not optional. God's fee is the highest one of them all. It requires the highest fee. To ask for God's guidance requires abandonment. That means we come to God and say, God, I count the cost of your guidance. I'm going to seek your guidance, and I realize I count the cost. And the cost is coming to God and saying, God, I entrust the outcome to you, your God. Withhold from me or give to me what you will, when you will, how you Withhold from me or give to me what you will, when you will, how you will. And God says, you approach life that way, you'll become a wise person who makes good decisions. Here's what it means to trust God. Close doors out. Close door open doors. You come into God and say, God, um, this thing that I want to do, my relationship, the job opportunity, the school that I want to go to, whether I want to live here, live there, God, The outcome is yours. Hmm? It's yours. Holy and true, it's yours. My responsibility is to come and say, God, I am totally yielded and surrendered to you. Hold nothing tightly, God. Hold nothing tightly. See, it's okay to value a relationship, want a relationship, but if that relationship is the end all and be all in your life, you're going to make poor decisions. You're going to date people that you're not supposed to. You're going to stay in relationship. Why? Because that relationship is your real trust. If you're sitting there going, God, if you give me a job, then I will. The job is your real trust. God, if you give me that relationship, then I will worship that relationship with your real trust. If you think, God, if you open that door and make me that, whatever that thing is the real trust. And as long as that is the real trust and we're not unconditionally trusting our Heavenly Father, you'll never be able to make good, wise decisions. So how are you doing? Can you come today and say, God, here it is. Here it is. I'm staring at that door. Here it is, God. Here it is. Here it is. Real quick, two more, and then we're done. Thaddeus, come on up. Third, the closing of a door occurs in order to lead you to a better one. Accepted. Please, please, please. Ingenuity, crowbar, put it down, put it down, put it down, put it down. Put your jacket on, put your jacket on, chill out, okay? Put it down and step and walk away. You're not in control. You never were, you never will be. A perfect heavenly father is. Lastly, when God does open a new door, walk through it. Church, church, when God opens a new door, here's what it'll mean. It'll mean significant change. I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say it. 
Some of y'all need to just today say, God, I've wanted to get the heck out of Chicago for like weeks and months and years. I can't stand this place. And you've held tightly to that decision. You're saying, God, I, 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 don't, I don't want to. And you know that deciding to stay in the city for the good of the kingdom will mean significant change. You know it, I know it. But it's when you come to God and say, God, I, I let go. That God might make clear to you why you're supposed to stay and what you're to do. It'll mean risk. Some of y'all means, but if I let go of that and go over there, that means I might be, I don't know, uh, I, I might be in a situation where I'm going to be stretched. I'm, I'm not going to know what to do. I might be in a situation where I'm not going to have my gifts and my talents, and I don't know if I'm going to be fit for that, so on and so forth. It may mean also that it's going to require courage, that it's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be safe. But walking through the open door is not an option. You can't live out God's will in theory and concept. You got to take a step and walk through it. What are you scared of? What are you afraid of? Failure. Let me talk about failure as we end. God, I'm realizing, will rarely call us to do something that we think we can do. If God says, there's an open door Peter walked through, and I look at that and go, oh, that's easy. I probably shouldn't because it's not from who? The Lord. You know what I'm realizing? God-sized assignments require God-sized faith. Let me put it this way. If God calls you to do something and you think you can do it without any difficulties and ease, it's probably not from God because God will always call us to God's side dimensions where we go, I can't do that. There's no way. And God goes, I know, isn't that great? But why are you doing this? Why? God goes, because the world is watching to see me. The world is watching to see your heavenly father. And the only way that I'm going to be able to demonstrate my power in and through you is for you, Kevin, <laughs> and me to look at it and go, God, I don't know if I can do this. And God says, I know. So let me do it through you. And the entire world will go, not how great you are, but what? How great your God is. So absolutely that open door might be, I don't know. I don't think I'm smart enough, educated enough, have enough money. I don't think I could do it. You are exactly where God wants you to be because God wants to demonstrate his power through you. The watching world wants to see God, not you and me and how good we are. Can we demonstrate that by being bold people on mission who say, give me that open door. Where is it? I know I can't handle it. 